1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: Could it be here that God is not only teaching them atonement, substitutionary sacrifice, but He's also making a provisional location, the east side of the garden where he's enthroned between the cherubim, nine times it says in the Bible, God would meet with them. God would still be able to fellowship with them, although obviously from a distance. But God made this gracious provision to allow them to continue to meet with him and to worship him.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. We read in the very beginning that God met with Adam in the cool of the day and fellowshiped with him. How amazing is it that God Almighty desires to fellowship with man? As Pastor Gary continues his teaching through the book of Genesis... He'll be encouraging us to meet with the Lord in fellowship because that's the sole purpose we were created. As Christians, we are now reconciled to God and can have harmonious fellowship with Him because of the sacrifice of Jesus. How often do you take advantage of this great honor? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, Rejecting Cain.
2: God takes it eventually, probably just before the flood removes it from the earth has kept it in heaven and we see it again revelation 2 the believers the letter to the church of ephesus they will one day eat of the fruit of the tree of life because in that day we can be sealed in our permanent glorified state and in revelation 22 it says the tree of life appears on each side of the river of life so we see it again but for the meantime God says, I can't allow Adam and Eve to come back here. If they eat of it, they're going to be permanently sealed forever in their sinful state. So he banishes them. And when he banishes them, he sets in place, verse 24 tells us, cherubim. Look at verse 24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now... Circle the word cherubim. What exactly are cherubim? This is the first reference we have in the Bible to cherubim, but there will be many more references. Cherubim is plural, and the singular term is cherub. Now, in order for you to understand this scene in your mind's eye, I'm going to have to ask you to remove something about cherubs in your head. Because the way we think of cherubs, I want you to get this out of your head, those little chubby, naked preschool boys with curly blonde hair and wings playing a harp that adorn our Christmas cards? Get that out of your head. That is somebody's weird idea of what a cherub is. Let me tell you what cherub is. Cherubim are majestic. I want you to picture in your mind's eye, majestic, awesome, powerful, virtuous, strong, mighty, angelic creatures. That's what cherubim are. There's at least two because it's in the plural. Maybe there was many more. And they're guarding the east side of the Garden of Eden. Now, cherubim appeared 89 times throughout the Bible. There's a reference to cherubim 89 times throughout the Bible. And these beautiful creatures become central because in the future temple that is built, we read in the Bible that the images, the sketches of cherubim are etched into the doors of the temple. The Bible says they are etched on the walls of the interior of the temple. The Bible says that their figure is woven within the curtain of the temple that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place. So you see angels all over the place in the Bible, these cherubim creatures and You also see them, they adorn the top of, Moses is told, fashion the Ark of the Covenant with a lid called the mercy seat, and on the lid are to be two cherubim, each stretched outward head down facing each other, wings expanded. So awesome creatures. Now here's what's interesting in the Bible, and this is why God is teaching them perhaps the way of worship at this location. Nine times in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God sits enthroned between the cherubim. I'll give you a couple of references. 1 Samuel 4, 4. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Psalm 99, verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. It is the reason why The ancient Jewish rabbis who wrote the Jerusalem Targum, which is basically an Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Old Testament plus commentary, the ancient Jewish rabbis read here in Genesis 3 about the east side of the Garden of Eden. You know what they would write in the Jerusalem Targum? They would write that this became the appointed place of worship as God would still commune with man, although now from a distance. Now think about it. Put all this together. God is teaching them something about blood atonement. He clothes them in garments of skin. Animals are slain in order for that to happen. He then establishes on the east side of the Garden of Eden, which is very interesting. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 tells us that the priests started their service on the east side of the altar. Also in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, it tells us that the priests and Levites would organize on the east side of the temple. Could it be here that God is not only teaching them atonement, substitutionary sacrifice, but He's also making a provisional location, the east side of the garden, where He's enthroned between the cherubim, nine times it says in the Bible. God would meet with them. God would still be able to fellowship with them, although obviously from a distance. But God made this gracious provision to allow them to continue to meet with him and to worship him. Now, enters Cain and Abel. They bring, in chapter 4, it tells us, an offering to the Lord. First question, how do they know to do this? If it weren't for the fact that, again, what must be inferred in the text is that Adam is teaching them this. It had to have been handed down because how did Noah know to build an altar and make a sacrifice of a burnt offering to the Lord? How did Abraham know to build altars 2,000 years later? How did Isaac know to build altars? How did Jacob know to build altars? Who taught them this? If it weren't for the fact that it had to have been handed down from Adam. In other words, listen, I truly believe there had to have been a conversation at some point that Adam had with his sons. Now, with sons in chapter 4, you get the idea they're grown men now because they're of marrying age. Cain will soon marry here in chapter 4. We'll talk about next week, where did Cain get his wife? That's for another discussion. (laughs) But listen, these guys had to have had a heart-to-heart talk with dad at some point. I mean, look, you don't live in an area and you're able to see this flaming sword with some magnificent angels and not kind of wonder what that scene is all about. So you have to begin to realize that at some point Adam sat down with his sons and he had a conversation with them, probably a very, very sad conversation. He probably sat down with them and said, Boys, listen, let me tell you something. There was a day before you were born, because these guys were born outside of paradise. They didn't even know the Garden of Eden. And I can hear Adam saying, Guys, I want you to know, before you guys were born, there was a day your mom and I lived beyond the flaming sword where all this cherubim are. And it was, a, it was a place that was pristine and perfect and lovely. And we even walked with God in the cool of the day. And he would visit us and he would take care of us and everything was absolutely wonderful. And then one day, Satan made a visit and your mom was deceived and she believed the lie that God was not good and God was not true. And she ate of the tree that God told us don't eat from. And you know what, guys? He says, I'm I'm even more responsible than your mom because I didn't step up. I wasn't the leader of the house I should have been. I didn't protect her. I didn't stand for God's honor and defend his word. And I ate of the tree as well. Your mom and I sinned. And when we did, God had to kick us out of that perfect place. The good news is, boys, though, that God still wants to have fellowship with us and he made gracious provision for us. see these... These garments of skin that we're wearing, God taught us something about blood atonement and how we can still approach Him through a sacrificial offering. And He also made provision for us. This east side of the garden is going to be a place where we can still commune with Him, although it's going to be from a distance. And I just want you to know, I'm really sorry for what has happened. and I feel totally responsible. But God's a good God, and He has a plan of redemption for us if we would simply do it His way. See, when, when you look at this scene, you have to begin to wonder, if you do not interpret chapter 4 in light of the way chapter 3 ends then you're liable to just look at what happened between God and Cain and Abel and think, God was just in a mood that day, wasn't he? I mean, he just kind of looked at what Abel brought, and he's like, hey, I'm really into steaks. And he looked at what Cain brought, and he thought, I don't like rabbit food. And so he gives a star and extra jello to Abel, and he pounds Cain. If that's how you read chapter 4, you will only read it that way, absent of what happens in chapter 3. But if you believe that truly the end of chapter 3 is communicating, there's a substitutionary sacrifice that has to happen as part of approaching me and there's the way of worship there's a place there's a prescribed time there's an opportunity for you to commune with me and if you do it any other way then you will not be accepted i want you to notice with me both men came with an offering to the lord both men came to the same place both men came at the same time because even there in chapter 4 verse 3 it says in the course of time Literally in the Hebrew it means at the end of days. Some theologians interpret that to mean that this was actually the end of the week and it was the beginning now of a new week and thus Sabbath day at the close of a week was the opportunity for them to come and worship. There was an appointed time, there's an appointed place, they both come with offerings in hand and yet one offering is acceptable and one offering is not. Why? Well before we vilify Cain a little bit here any further... I do want to mention to you something that is noteworthy, that is positive about his life. And it really honestly puts many people to shame in the church today, and here's what I mean. At least Cain came with something. He didn't approach God empty-handed. Please, please resist. Resist the tendency that some people have in coming to churches of being church consumers. What does the church have for me? How can the church meet my needs? How can the church serve me? No, no, no. Approaching God is not to be empty-handed. Approaching God is to be with an attitude and disposition of coming into his presence always being about giving and worshiping and honoring and serving. We should come always ready to give of our time in serving, to give of our money in providing, to give of our voices in worshiping, to give of our hands in helping. That's what honors God. Resist this idea that is often too familiar in churches where people come in to be consumers and critiquers rather than what God really calls us to be is to come in as communers and contributors, to be communers and contributors. At least Cain comes with something. But what he came with was wrong. How do we know? Again, consider here. If you believe the way chapter 3 ends, who came the prescribed way, and who came his own way? Who came with a slain animal, and who came with the works of his hand? One came with a sacrificial offering. One came with a selfish offering. One came with the sacrifice of blood. One came with his own sacrifice of sweat. One came God's way. One came man's work. That's the big difference here. In fact, the New Testament tells us pretty clearly, Hebrews eleven four. Notice the three times by faith is mentioned. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. The emphasis about faith with Abel tells us that Abel approached by faith. How did Cain come? By works. He didn't come by faith. And please understand this. It is still coming by faith and by the sacrifice of blood into God's presence today. That's why Ephesians 2 8 and 9 it says, By grace are you saved through faith, and this is the gift of God. Even believing faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's why in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. It's still faith in blood. It's faith in Jesus, and it's the blood of Jesus, but it's still faith in blood. Abel came by faith. Cain, you know what he decided? I'm just going to kind of come my own way. You have to read this text and realize this is probably not the first time that they've come into the presence of the Lord. This is the first time Cain did it in the wrong way. That's why God says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Cain knew the right way, and he didn't do it God's way. Listen, There's only one way to approach God. It's through faith, and it's through the blood of Jesus. It's the sacrificial, substitutionary offering, Jesus, and it's the way of worship. The way we come to God now is God's prescribed way that he's graciously provided. We come into fellowship with God. We have relationship with God, and it's through Jesus. Now, I know many of you are sitting there going, yeah, I mean, I already know this. It's not through works. It's not the Cain way. It is through faith. It's Abel's way. It's through Jesus. It's the cross. I get it, Pastor Gary. But let me tell you why I am so passionate about this issue. Because I know many of you do, maybe not all of you, but I guarantee you there are a lot of churches filled today with the idea that Cain's way is okay. What do I mean? There are a lot of good, decent people, godly people who think You've heard it. If I'm basically a decent, good person, if I just, you know, am friendly towards others and I watch my mouth and I'm faithful to my husband or wife and I, and I treat the poor with kindness and I give and I'm friendly, if I'm just a decent, good, church-going person, why, surely God will accept me and I'll go to heaven. Let me tell you, there are pews that are lined with people who believe that and it just isn't true i don't say it to shame i'm not saying it to berate i'm saying it with a pastor's heart of love i know that there are a lot of people who think they're on their way to heaven because they're good decent people but please understand good decent people that's not good enough there's only one way to get to god and god prescribed the way there's a substitutionary sacrifice it's the blood of jesus it's faith in jesus christ I remember when I was about 15 years old, I'd just gotten saved. I grew up in church all my life. I never heard the gospel. Till I was at a Christian retreat setting, I was 15 years old, I heard the gospel for the first time, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And that year, right after I got saved, my grandmother gave me a call. Now, I'm thankful for my heritage. Many of you have heard me talk about my heritage from the pulpit before. I'm very thankful for my godly heritage. My parents took me to church every Sunday. They exposed me to God at the very least. It was a wonderful thing that they did for me. I thank God for that every day. My grandfather served in the United Methodist Church as a pastor for 48 years. He was a district superintendent of the Baltimore Conference. He had dozens of churches under him. He died. In 1972, my grandmother called me when I was 15 years old and she said to me, would you come and help me host a dinner party? I'm going to have a bunch of our old retired district superintendent's friends over to the house them and their wives and we're going to have a dinner together. I said, "Sure." I went over there. Now, listen. I just got saved. I'm like 15. You know how when you first get saved or you meet somebody who first gets saved, they're like burping Jesus all over you. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're like, "Hey, I don't know if you know this, but you're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. You need to get Jesus." And you know, and I'm kind of like that. I'm in that mode like I don't really know tact and I don't really know how to say it decently. Well, here I come in a room full of retired district superintendent pastors. I mean, they've been in ministry for 45, 50 years. And I'm like burping all like burping all over them all right i'm just about jesus this and i'm sitting there thinking man i'm going to learn some stuff these are some good men they love god and i'm going to be able to pick their brains a little bit and learn about the bible and stuff and as i started asking them questions as i started telling them i got saved now look this is not a disparaging comment on an entire denomination although there's there's room certainly in protestantism and catholicism you all understand there's a works-oriented mentality that has woven itself in every mainstream religion and denomination There's a works-oriented mentality. And I remember sitting in this room with with about six of these retired district superintendents, and to the person, they all looked at me and said, their theology was reduced to a sentence. Basically, if you're just a good person, you'd go to heaven. You know that, right? I said, are are you reading from the same Bible I'm reading from? (laughs) My grandmother, you get into the kitchen right now. I mean, I... (laughs) I mean, I, I was—I was not trying to be disrespectful. I was just more shocked. Really? Let me tell you something. I'm saying this to you. I didn't say this to them. <laughs> if if you honestly think that you can be good enough to get to heaven, then the cross was unnecessary. And there are a lot of people who believe that theology. Many of you have come out of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, it's works. It's work your way to heaven. It's do enough good deeds, and then God will accept you. No, let me tell you something. Those might be noble. Those might be honorable. God might even be recording our good deeds in heaven because we will be rewarded for good deeds. But there's not enough good things we can do to get to heaven because there's only one prescribed way, and that's Jesus. There's only one way to be forgiven. There's only one way to go to heaven. There's only one way to be saved. It's Jesus. That's why in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. There is no other way to get to heaven except by Jesus. It's the blood of the sacrifice of the perfect lamb. That's why John the Baptist, when he was seeing Jesus approach him, he said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's still blood and faith. But it's the blood of Jesus, and it's faith in Jesus, and that's how we get saved. And you know what happened here with Cain when God looked with disfavor upon him and upon his offering? In verse 5 of chapter 4, it says he became very angry. In the Hebrew, it translates he became furious. He became seething. He was so mad. It would lead to what happens to be the first murder we'll talk about next week. But I want you to notice God's loving response to him. Here Cain is seething and mad and angry. And you know what God says? Look at verse 7 and then we'll close. Verse 7, God just simply says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Cain, if you just come to me the way I've prescribed, won't you be accepted? God is still saying this to all of us. If you would just come by the way of Jesus, if you would believe in Him who died on the cross for your sins, accept Him. Won't you be accepted? Yes. Ephesians 1.6 in King James it says, you are accepted in the Beloved. That because of what Christ has done, you will be completely forgiven and accepted. But you have to believe in Jesus by faith. You have to believe that the cross, the finished work, what Jesus did for you and for me was sufficient and entirely the answer for every sinful person you cannot be good enough to get to heaven only Jesus is the way the truth and the life and that's how we get to heaven and many of you know this and you've accepted Christ as your savior but others of you you've been believing this idea that it's about good works isn't it no that's the way of Cain it's your own effort it's your own idea it's your own good things but the way of God was what Abel saw it's blood and faith And what God has put in place for us is redemption through faith in Jesus Christ.
1: This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis taught by Pastor Gary was a blessing to you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc, where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're
2: a wandering soul That like you've got no place to go But still you know
1: But still you know You're not alone